All right, folks, another episode of the Summit Up podcast. Jason, uh, NIST SP800-171 Rev3 is, revisions are in full swing. And uh, after the publication of the initial public draft of 800-171 Rev3, NIST asked for public comments. And luckily, NIST made the public comments publicly available so people can read them, they can check out what they said, and we have spent some time going through them and developing some takeaways. So uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about the things that people have said, sort of the things that jump out to us, and what that might mean for the final public draft, and then the final version that should be coming out here in the next several months. Yeah, absolutely, Jacob. So what we saw was, first and foremost, this is the first comment period and response period of this 800-171 revision three cycle. <clears throat> what NIST has told us that they're going to do is, is they're going to review these comments, make any changes if they're applicable, and then they're going to go through another public comment period before issuing the final draft. Am, am I, am, I'm right on that, right? Yeah, that's right. So the timeline plan here is they, they originally came out and said pre-draft public comments. That was when everybody said, we don't like FIPS, we don't like FIPS, boo, boo, we hate FIPS. And then they took those comments and, well, in addition to that, everybody said, NFOs, get them out of here, put them into the standard, stuff like that. This is what I talked about at CS2 Huntsville back in March. So then they came out with the initial public draft of 800-171 in May, the end of May, I think. And you know it's been out for a little while. And they said, hey, give us more comments on the actual structure and substance of this standard. They're supposed to release a second draft of 171. And according to their webinar, which we will link to back in June, they said they are going to issue the 171 uh, Rev3 second draft with the 171A draft. So wait, instead of waiting for 171 to be finalized and complete, they're releasing 171A in conjunction, which is great because we get to see both sides, but it's bad because that means that things are going to be moving a lot faster in terms of the ability for CMMC to assess it, when, when DOD is going to require you to have the new revision implemented versus the old revision. If they had kept them separate, it extends the overall timeline. Now that they're going to do them in parallel, it'll make the timeline shorter. Also, you know, f specifically for podcast listeners, those folks listening at home, you can't see me winking right now, but it may or may not be true that the second draft of 171R3 and 171A may or may not be published sometime around late October or not, maybe, perhaps. Wink, wink. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I thought you were having a, a moment I thought I was there. having a I medical thought, emergency. Yeah, we're going to have to tell producers. I will have a medical emergency if I have to be on stage an hour after the draft comes out again. That was no yeah. fun. The NDI yeah. in New England's a great event, but that was very, very stressful, and I would like that to not happen. But yes, uh, the timeline is we're expecting the second draft, of 171R3 along with 171A sometime around October-ish. Okay. And then we're waiting on the final versions to be published, which NIST says should be early Q1 of 2025, but I feel like it's going to be before the end of the year. Either way, not very far away. Well, a part of that process and getting to the end of that timeline is these comment and revision periods. And for yep. this period, uh, there was uh, a little bit over 100 comments total. Um, well, from well, real quick. So there's, so this happens with rulemaking too. So there are the number of commenters and then there's the Correct. number of individual comments. So for instance, uh, with the 2020 CMMC rule, 
there were, I think like 180 something commenters with mm -hmm. comment submissions, but there's actually like 850 comments because every individual point in your submission counts as a comment. So there's a, uh, I, I can't, I think you have the number. So there's, there's more comments than there are commenters, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's 80 commentors. So yeah. 80 organizations chose to submit feedback uh, to NISC. And my count, and it's really easy to lose count, was 144 total comments. Yeah. But that's, I mean, let's not take that to the bank, okay? Like, it, it's it's a roundabout <laughs> guess here. And so, like, I, you know, like, obviously, like, we like to do, Jacob, um, I, I dug my teeth in and, you know, I just was like, yeah. well, let me see what people have to say. Let's see where my opinions or my thoughts as to, you know, comments to the document may align with other people in the industry. Great way for a, uh, a holistic approach for the industry to persuade. I it's a great know, way to see where people are at. Yeah. And so this is some of the takeaways I have. First has nothing to do with cybersecurity and it's about being a good person. Okay. I know weird. I listen, just bear with me, buddy. What are you? This, this is a, this is a wrong show for you, buddy. I I'm not sure at what point when you're submitting a public comment to a NIST document that you feel that your approach should be angry or condescending. Yeah. I, I, you are trying to contribute to something and my, you always attract more flies with honey than salt, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. Sugar. Yeah. Honey, thanks whatever. dad. Thanks yeah. dad. Any, yeah. So I know what you're saying, right? The, yeah. This is, this is probably something that we haven't seen since the, when dinosaurs roamed the earth at the end of 2020 and people were commenting on the CMMC rule and mm -hmm. DOD was going on lots of webinars with Q and a sessions where there is a deep, um, anger, indignation that stems from a perfectly legitimate sense of unfairness mm -hmm. of, uh, being left holding the bag, having the rug pulled out from under you pick the metaphor, right? Um, people are upset and, um, and there's various reasons why they, it's perfectly justified to feel that way. And there's a lot of reasons why, even though they feel that way, that's probably not enough to change the inertia of the system as the way that it's rolling out. But I agree with you. I would say that if people were to read through the comments, one of the things that will jump out to you pretty quickly is the tone that people take with NIST as their audience is um, kind of can be kind of rude, I think, sometimes. Now, this I'm not casting moral judgments. It's not what this show is about. I get it. People feel their feelings. There's plenty of reasons to feel unheard, I think, is probably the main the main reason why it happens. But man, there are some in there where it's like it's hard to read. It's hard to distill the substance of the comments separate from their tone, right? Yeah. Or their or their language, if you will. And so it's just one of those things where it's like, I get it. I get it. I think part of the reason is people just don't have, um, they don't have a place to point the, those emotions to, right? Like yeah. DOD's not doing webinars. The AB's got a town hall once a month and it's not a, it's not exactly like an interactive Q and A, right? You throw stuff in, sometimes they get to it now, sometimes they get to it a month or two from now. Uh, NIST isn't exactly doing in-person industry events. DOD's not doing in-person industry events. Nothing, you know, nothing's happening and everything's happening and you don't have anywhere to direct that energy. 
And so when they offer a venue for public comments, people just let it, they just let loose. They just let them, let them fly. Yeah. Let's, I agree. Okay. I understand. I'm not going to tell anybody not to do that. I'm just saying from my external observation, it's very clear that I think, and I've seen this recently in my own LinkedIn posts, right? In comments where the post is strictly just restating things that DOD has said via rulemaking in the past, like literally quotes from DOD rulemaking copied and pasted into a LinkedIn post saying, here's what people said back then. Here's how DOD responded. Here's what people are saying now. That's probably what DOD will say in rulemaking. Mm -hmm. And the people in the comments, very upset with me, which is fine. I get it. However, I feel like what the NIST comments, social media comments, things like that, we're going to see some some big emotions in the rulemaking comments for the CMMC rule when it's finally published, right? Like we're expecting that to be the end of this year. I think it's going to be uh, pretty intense, pretty intense. Maybe that was just a forewarning. Hey, guys, just keep in mind that when these comments come out, like, let's not be angry. Hey, I mean, well, or be angry. I, I get it. It's justified. Because, I get it. Like, yeah, but yeah. I'm not going to say don't feel that way. I'm not going to say that it's wrong. I don't know if NIST can really do much with it. And so it's fine. However, I will say that I, from an observation perspective, it's very clear that there are big feelings out there. And uh, then also, yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to get big angry about something that you were talking about in this comments, have it be over something that's like technical, technically, you know, like this have is a goof be, on this is yeah, not. Well, on, and that's really where, that's really where it happens is, is, be big mad, but have it be relevant to the person that you're directing that anger to. Well, right? I was thinking more so of have it be at least relevant to something that is going to constructively improve the, the I don't know, the standards that are put well, in place, not yeah. grammar and punctuation. Like literally read a comment about grammar and punctuation where people were big. Hey, big I mean, mad, dude. NIST has taken technical feedback. If there's typos, if there's grammar, if there's syntax, a typo can be a big difference in terms of what a control means, but uh, I would say, matter. I understand that. Yeah. You know, I would say maybe just I'll lead into my first takeaway after yours, right. Is right. similar to, like I was saying to those LinkedIn posts, just like NIST said in their webinar, just like they said in their response to the, the pre-draft public comments, just like DOD has said in their sort of high level descriptions of comments received during rulemaking, if you're submitting a comment that's not relevant to the thing you're commenting on, there's nothing that the people who are reading your comment can do with it, right? And so there's a lot of comments submitted on SP 800-171 about CMMC. And mm -hmm. CMMC is not SP 800-171. NIST has nothing to do with CMMC. They're not in charge of it. They don't make it. They don't have anything to do with it. CMMC is the program that assesses 800-171. They are closely related. But if you are commenting on an issue with CMMC, there's nothing NIST can do. Just like there's nothing that NIST can do about cost. There's nothing they can do about how it works in contract language. There's nothing they can do about how the DOD or the Department of the Interior or Commerce or State or any of the other ones will take that standard and then put it into their contracts. That's just not what they do. They write the standard. And so if you have an issue with the standard, the structure and substance of the standard, great. If it's anything else, NIST is just, they're nice people. I'm sure that they get it. I mean, we've talked to Vicky, we've talked to Ron, they know, but it, their hands are tied. It's outside of their wheelhouse. Yeah. I um, counted actually on 12 different occasions going through the comments um, where the comment that was submitted 
blended the responsibility of NIST in the formulation of the standard um, with the responsibilities of the Cyber AV to oversee the CMMC program, the DOD to you know to impose the the yeah. um, security the the requirements, and, and the CMMC program as a whole. And so, like well, I thought about is, it like this. Okay. Yeah. Well, th and this is why people get mad. This is why people get mad because you have the pointing Spider-Man meme to end all pointing Spider-Man memes where the AB says that's the DOD and the DOD says that's NIST and NIST says that's NARA and NARA says, what year is it? Wait, what, where am I? Right. And then they're just, everybody's just pointing at the other group of people, even within the DOD, right? You get back to this fundamental issue where CUI is the thing that makes you have to comply with DFAR 7012. And that is what triggers your requirement to have a CMMC assessment. But then you ask the CMMC people about CUI and they go, that's not us. That's, that's OSD research and engineering, OSD R&E. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, and then you talk to R&E and they go, that's not us. That's OSD INS. And you go, what is happening here? Like, where are the INS people? Where are the R&E people? Where are the ANS sure. people? Where are the DOD CIO people and the AB and NIST and this and that? And pretty soon, nobody gets an answer about anything, but the machine still moves down the road, right? I like to think of it kind of like this. A NIST standard is kind of like public showers at a beach, right? You use the public showers. Okay. Listen, listen, dude, I, I thought about this deeply. Okay. You use the public showers at the beach to rinse off sand, right? They're available yep. for any beachgoer to rinse off sand. Okay. So any person at the beach can use that shower to accomplish its intended purpose, which is to remove sand from your body, your gear, whatever it is, right? Just like any government organization looking to impose cybersecurity requirements for CUI can adopt the NIST, the NIST standard, which in this 871 standard, right? And okay. so that's the way you have to look at it. But if somebody is not appropriately, you're not going to go to NIST or you're not going to go to the, the beach and say that this shower isn't, is not going to get the sand off of me. Right. I think I went a little bit down a wormhole with the, I've, the analogy, I've lost but, metaphor at this point, but yeah, I like, dude, me too. I like I, the I potential. Like, yeah. Like it's just essentially saying that like the two things, how well you get the sand off or how well whatever organization adopt, mm -hmm. takes and uses that standard to get the sand off or to okay. apply CUI protections, right, is not the responsibility of the shower. The shower is made available ah, for you okay. to use it at your discretion. How well you use it or the way in which you use it is still at your discretion, right? There's laws and yeah. rules and regulations, but yeah. It, it, it I get it. No, I get better. it. If you if you are using the 800-171 shower at the beach and you still got sand in your crack, that's something that, you know, you can give back to the shower designer, but there's not much they can do because I think I'm tracking the metaphor, but let's move on. Yeah. It, listen, it, it sounded much better in my head. It all makes sense. Okay. Every, everything makes sense up there. Yeah. Uh, Anyways. So, uh, a couple other things that stuck out to me, right? Um, one that was really, really surprising, and it had to deal with the term uh, P-O-A-N-M, or as mm -hmm. we know it, plan of action and milestone, right? Um, and, and basically saying that that term is being frowned upon by the DOD, and that the DOD is recommending that in the cases of implementation of NIST, that you use the term list of deficiencies, Okay. Instead this of this was a DOD comment. This was a comment from an org, a, a comment about their interaction with. Oh, I remember this one. This was a comment about. Wasn't it a comment about their interaction with DIBCAC assessors, and they were saying, "Don't say POAM." Well, yeah, it was saying that the DOD is frowning upon it, saying that it increases confusion with the CMMC accreditation process and everything. Dude, I, I get it. 
This is the missing tile on the floor of the public Absolutely. shower at the beach. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, you could call it our get better plan. You could call it. You can this, call you them can practices. Call it... You can call them controls. You can call as them as long as you know what you're supposed to do with them yeah. it is the most important part. And the confusion between a CMMC assessment and a NIST implementation does not matter for the intended purpose of the document. You know, and I'll say this makes me think of. Part of the reason why rulemaking takes so long is because of stuff like this, right? Is the the ticky tacky uh, semantic like what is what are the words going to be? I remember there was this big debate going on when rulemaking under CMMC 2.0 first started, where we weren't going to use the word fail for controls that went unimplemented. We're going to use other than satisfied, and it was like this thing that takes weeks to normalize and standardize and get updated. And you're just like, how much of the rulemaking timeline was stuff like that? Don't say POAM, say list of things to be remediated. Don't yeah. say fail, say other than satisfied, right? Listen, great. It's a technical comment. It's a suggestion. Overall, we should normalize the lexicon. I mean, I've been yelling at people on, on LinkedIn about this all week because NIST released a draft of the cybersecurity framework 2.0 and for the same types of stuff in NIST 853 and 800-171, they use different words. And it drives me up the wall because this is supposed to be an organization that writes standards. You standardize the things that you are giving to everyone. And every time you open a different NIST standard, they're different. So yep. it's very difficult to translate and talk to different audiences and different industries and different verticals if they're using different standards when under the hood as we've talked about on this show a lot it's all the same stuff use the same words so i agree with the comment we need to normalize the lexicon but at the end of the day you're just like they're just poems man dude when one of the most frustrating things for me getting on that topic about the the, the documents not being standardized across the board is like when you're going through a cybersecurity standard that NIST releases and it has like the complementary NIST documents that help with it. And then you go to that one and it is a, a whole new ballpark. And you're like, wait, it's going to take me 30 minutes to figure out I, the structure. Listen, this. Where do I got to go? Like, it's I, just per I enjoy a nice, uh, relaxing weekend of diving face first into the endless NIST tesseract of overlapping and interlocking publications and documents and references and whatever you go down the wormhole eventually it all circles back and connects to each other but i mean we gotta they gotta be better about this right you can't yeah. you can't have 853 use the term drop and incorporate when they're withdrawing a control and then uh well, no what it is the nist cfs uh csf says they drop subcategories 853 says that they move or incorporate them. 800-171 says they're withdrawn. Meanwhile, under the hood, the exact same action has happened for all of them. So it's just, it, it, it makes it, a lot of it unnecessary. And what it does is it causes people to have to spend time submitting comments that ultimately, like you said, don't move the needle on the bigger issues, right? And more uniquely to the, the problems that we face, obviously with the DOD contracting base is the fact that uh, for a lot of organizations, this is the first time that they are being exposed to these yes. documents. Yes, very good point. And, and so for me, who has been you know diving into them for a, a long period of time, it, it's a lot different. And it's even an adjustment for me to do it and anybody else to do it. 
But for somebody that's never seen it before, that yeah. is an insane undertaking. So uh, obviously another thing that could po possibly cloud or, or complement the process. Yeah. Another theme to the comments that I noticed in, in the, um, the the comments submitted for for 171 Rev3 is that a lot of comments surrounded the requirement 312.5, which is the one for independent assessments. Man, um, this is and, really, this is really blown up. Well, it's, it's, it's to the point where like, and words matter. We talked about punctuation matters. Yeah. Maybe this is one of those angry punctuation moments, right? Um, and so he, insert my condescending term that tells me that uh, most of them cover the inclusion of language, which clarifies if independent assessments can be performed by internal independent um, resources, right? So let's say that you have a um, assessment team capability within your organization that is separate from the business entity that is going to get uh, assessed. Is mm -hmm. it, will you satisfy the requirement by having them come in and assess your NIST implementations? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good example of why the intent behind the control is perfectly fine. But this is a good example of a well-intended control that really needs NIST to go outside, touch grass, and talk to normal people who are affected by the standard. Because having an independent assessment of your control environment is great, right? Now, this is not some 4D chess conspiracy about linking 171 to CMMC. People can go watch the podcast that I recorded with Ron a couple months ago it was like three and a half hours long right this is just it's just a good practice it's a good practice because if you've implemented your controls and you have verified that they're implemented according to 171a which we've all done because that's how you calculate an sprs score right mm -hmm. uh if the person who is uh verifying that implementation is also the person who did the implementation it's not very independent and so uh, how do you know that those answers are correct? You should have an independent assessment. That's a great, that's great. But just like the separation of duties control, uh, when you have that control show up in an environment that is too small for the basis of that control to exist, the first thing that people do is they ask, what do I do now? Right? And so NIST needs to say, okay, this is a well-meaning control. What if it's in an environment that doesn't have the basis for this control, right? Now that would be ideal. And I don't know if they're going to do that because I feel like what they're going to do is they're going to say, this is an ideal situation in a vacuum. And if you can't meet it, that's not our job. That's your job to negotiate with whatever agency you're contracted to, mm -hmm. which like we've said on the show before, you're supposed to contact DOD CIO and say, we can't meet this control for the following reasons. Here's our alternative or it's NA, right? I mean, this is the same thing with, like I said, separation of duties. The justification that DOD CIO is supposed to use according to their FAQs is a control is not applicable if the basis for that control does not exist. You don't have to implement Wi-Fi security controls if you don't have Wi-Fi. If you do not have enough people to implement separation of duties, that does not mean that you're supposed to go out and hire people to implement separation of duties. The basis for the control is not valid, right? So independent assessment, do you have the ability for an internal assessment to be independent? Just like separation of duties, 
A lot of companies will not, but we don't have an interpretation on that from NIST. So you end up with one of like two extremes where people go, oh, CMMC automatically, boom, or we're never going to assess anything independently ever. And so it's just, one, it's just one of those things where you're like, I wish NIST would just do 10% more of, at least in the context of 171, knowing that the standard will by and large end up in small environments, which do not have the basis for the controls, preemptively address that, please. Yeah, I, th I feel like that there's a lot of wormholes to, to go down when you start talking about a, an internal part of your organization performing the independent assessment to meet a requirement. Yeah. I mean, big organizations but, definitely have that ability. They have internal audit that's independent from the business units all day long. Like you said, um, it, 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 if you can do it and it can be justified, you can document how they're not affecting one another, then by all means. But this clarification is going to be required. Like, well, or, I, or NIST doesn't clarify it. If NIST doesn't clarify that the controls are going to exist in small business environments, they should clarify that it's up to the agencies to clarify. And then everybody can go back to the pointing Spider-Man meme and go to DOD CIO and go, uh, knock, knock. Hello. Hello. Is anyone home? Is anyone seeing what's coming around the corner? Is this going to be treated as an NA just like every other control would be NA if the basis does not exist for sufficient independence? Now, call me crazy, but that's how I read it. Like if you're too small to have separation of duties, you're probably too small to have an independent assessment. NA, NA, verify with DOD CIO, move on with your life, right? Well, what, but, why wouldn't it be in a case where you're too small to fulfill the duties because you don't have the internal staffing? But a vendor or you know some sort of service can come in to be performed. I mean, but that's but I mean it's it's the same thing, right? It's like the, the, it all depends, I think, on the philosophy of how they're going to draw the line. Because sure. if you are if you do not have, I'm I'm reading this based off of how DoD describes the analysis that they do to determine whether something is NA or not. What they say is is that something is not NA just because you can't afford it right? Something is not NA just because you don't know how to do it, right? If you have Wi-Fi in your environment and you're sending CUI over those Wi-Fi links and you can't afford to have a FIPS validated access point, that does not mean that that requirement is NA. Now, if you do not have Wi-Fi in your environment, that does not mean that you then have to go out and implement Wi-Fi in order to comply with the requirement. So this is a philosophical question. If you are too small to have separation of duties, should you have to go out and hire people to implement separation of duties? Or is it like Wi-Fi, you don't have it, right? If you're yeah. too small to have an independent assessment component in your business, do you have to go out and hire people in order to meet separation of duties? That would be a philosophical shift from what we've heard from DOD before, because they won't make you go hire people to be large enough to have separation of duties. They wouldn't make you go hire people. It's absurd to say they wouldn't make you go hire people to be big enough for an independent assessment. It should be an easy NA, just like the separation of duties problem. Now, if you are big enough, then that's different, right? If you have other independent organizations, it's different. But I feel like we're really, we're really, really focusing on this independent assessment thing. And I feel like a lot of that is coming from people's anxiety around CMMC coming around the corner. Dude, I, I honestly would be full out lying to you if I didn't tell you that when 171A, the, the revision comes out, 
that this wouldn't be one of the first things that I go and look at what the assessment objectives say. And, and yeah, and just so everybody knows, you can go look at them today, right? I mean, you know, you can go you can go look at the assessment objectives today, right? I mean, it's I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the, how they phrase it and like which mm-hmm. words back to the semantics, right? The, like which words they cut out, which ones they rephrase compared to 53A. But we can go from 3.12.5, I think it is, independent assessment, back to the 53 control, back to the 53A control, and read those assessment objectives and then get in a feel for what the 171A will say. But either way, we should know here in the next several weeks, you know, whether they're going to zig or zag on certain words or not. But I just, the I don't know, end man. Of, the end of one of those independent assessment comments is this. And I'm, I, 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 in my notes, I put this comment here. That's it. That's all, all I have. Right. And it says, <laughs> it says the better approach than to revise NIST 800-171 would be to crawl, walk, then run. We were close with Rev 2 of NIST SP 800-171 in self-assessments. Lack of trust of, uh, of the DIB is not making national security stronger, but weakening it. Okay. Okay. Wait, 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 dude. Okay. This is a, Okay, this is, it we're just, not doing just, an hour long show anymore. We're not doing a three hour show. We got to get through this as fast as we can. Okay, a couple <laughs> things. A couple things. There's a lot going on in that comment. Um, the beginning and the end jump out to me. The part with self-assessment of 172 was working. Lack of trust in the div is counterproductive. I I don't know who that Checks comment notes. is. I don't know who the comment like is or where they've been for the last several years, but the entire reason why we're talking about the CMC program in the first place is because self-attestation and trusting without verifying has demonstrably failed. It is an empirical fact that the, the requirements are not being implemented and it's causing big problems. And that's why Congress took notice and put the requirement in the FY20 NDAA that eventually gave us CMMC. And that's why it's still happening today. So that is 100% not true. The middle part was what again? Uh, which part we were close with self-assessment. We were close with that two. and self-attestation. That's not tr- self-assessments. That's not true. Yeah, that's not true. Dipcac would like to. Yeah, argue or otherwise. Yeah, any of the reports. And then, that have and then lack of trust in the dip is not making national security stronger, but weakening in it. Yeah, uh, I mean, okay, well, and I feel like part of the rhetoric that they use in that comment too is talking about this is leaning towards CMMC. You're talking right. about. The, the Well, first of all, the language in the comment, as I'm hearing it, as I'm thinking about it right now, is they're talking about the DIB. 171 is not a standard for the DIB. It's Correct. a standard for everybody, right? Correct. And so it just so happens that most of the commenters are the DIB, but people are really taking a very narrow focus on what 171 is supposed to represent and therefore what NIST is able to do or not do. Um, I would like to really see really a trimmed down statistical breakdown of all the comments that were removed, either because they were propagated to push NIST to change language to fit a product or propagated to, um, or at least um, falsely lumped into NIST responsibility when it realistically was the responsibility of somebody else. Previewing to the end of the show with our announcement, uh, we might have some more information diving into the details of that kind of analysis uh, in a couple of weeks. But anyways, let's move on. Yeah, so that's actually all of my takeaways. And we, we talk back and forth about mine. I want to turn you loose because I know for a fact that you are absolutely laser focused and steaming at some. No, I had no feedback. I was good. No feedback at all. You're good. Nope. I know they were fine. Okay. So I had two things for the sake of time. 
to have mercy on our listeners. <laughs> we appreciate all of you. We're trying to go fast. I have two takeaways. First is go fast. the number one thing that everyone commented on was the inclusion of organizationally defined parameters in the formatting of 800 Rev3. An organizationally defined parameter or an ODP is a blank space in the text of the control that is a variable that is supposed to be defined within the context of the implementation of that control. It is organizationally defined. And this is very, very confusing for people who are not familiar with NIST standards because everyone says, who is this mysterious organization? And it is context dependent because some organizations have external regulatory requirements that are imposed on them. In that situation, that regulatory agency is the organization setting a certain variable or definition. Whereas if you're a business and you're deciding who your authorized users are and you're going to define who those people are, you are the organization making that definition. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the thing is, there are some organizationally defined parameters for which the government should probably define a value, right? Correct. And there are many organizationally defined parameters for which the business should define those parameters because they're too granular or they're not relevant or whatever. The problem is NIST is using a standard 25-year-old format for how to write a control statement with an ODP in it, and people are seeing it for the first time, and they're going, whoa, 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 who's going to define these things? And some people say the business should define all of the parameters, and some people say the government should define all of the parameters. I don't think that either of those are a sustainable option or advisable, mm-hmm. but the government needs to say, these are the variables we care about. And these are the variables we do not care about in order to make everybody's life a lot easier. Um, what I will say, and we'll post a link to the poll that I had on LinkedIn a little while ago is a lot of people are reacting to ODPs in the comments rather than commenting on the best way to use them if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So we already know that 800-171 is going back to 853 formatting, right? Ron expressed that on the podcast when he was uh, you know, special guest on the podcast a couple of months ago. They have taken too much detail out of 853 in their formation of 171, and it's confusing everybody. So they're going back to the formatting of 853. That means ODPs. Like you have said multiple times, we already knew this was going to happen because 800-172 has been formatted to have ODPs in it for a really long time now. So you already knew that it was coming around the corner. But back to the point, I put a poll on LinkedIn and I said, I just don't understand where the intense reaction to ODPs is coming from because the ODPs have existed in 800-171 since the beginning. And you would know that they were there because if you crack open 800-171A, which everybody did to do their self-assessment, to calculate their SPRS score, to evaluate your MSP's shared responsibility matrix, right? Every time you look at a requirement in 800-171A, it's going to start with something, something, define a value, something, something, specify a value. Mm -hmm. And then everything after that is implementing according to that 
defined variable. And if you go through and you count up in all of the requirements, the words define or specify show up 98 times, right? There's 110 requirements in 8171, 98 times in 171A, you have to define or specify a thing. That is an ODP. You are picking a variable. So everyone has already been doing this. We have already been specifying variables. There are 117 ODPs in the initial public draft of 8171. So we're not even talking about a very large increase over what already exists. So I'm just, I'm trying to be empathetic because I understand that the formatting looks a lot different than the original 171. And it looks very different from 171A as it currently exists. But if you sort of look at what an ODP is, you look at what it's asking you, you you're already doing it. You're already doing it. You've already done it. You've already done yeah. it, especially if you've assessed yourself against 171A. But I, what I will say overall is, I mean, it's got to be, I don't think there's a single comment submission that doesn't have at least one take on ODPs. And and the, yeah. the most concerning one or the most confusing one for me are people who say, take them out. And you're like, okay, listen, if you take the ODPs out, you end up with the current format of 800-171-R2. And you never really get rid of them because they're still in 800-171-A. You're, yep. you're assessing the implementation of something. You have to define what that thing is or specify what that thing is. NIST is just putting the definition of the ODP up front. So it's more apparent. It's more standardized with its big brother in 853. So getting rid of them does not solve the problem. And getting rid of them does not make them go away. NIST hasn't done anything except normalize the format and make it more apparent in 171 rather than just hiding them in 171A. Getting rid of them is not a solution. That's that's my big takeaway. They're already there. You're already doing them. The formatting change of the control text is really not the problem. Yeah, I... Um... A lot of the comments which I came across, and like you said, I noticed as well, it, there were very few comments that were submitted or commentors that submitted comments that did not have something to do with ODPs. I, I want to say um, almost, I, I mean, that off the top of my head, every single person who submitted or organization that submitted a comment had at least one comment on ODPs. And most yeah, of them said, we don't like them, get rid of them, which I just found very confusing. They're not scalable is what they said. It's going to crush small businesses. It's well, and, and what it's and listen, that that's like the default go to, right? Like it's going to crush. Well, small I mean, businesses. it's not. Well, here's the thing is theoretically, that's not untrue because 800 is designed to be the universal standard for the protection of confidence, the protection of confidentiality of CUI in non-federal systems. So sure. all categories of CUI in all non-federal systems should meet at least the same baseline requirements contained in 8171. It is true that if you do not define those ODPs the same for everyone, there is variability from agency to agency and acquisition to acquisition, and therefore contract to contract and purchase order to purchase order, because somebody could come along and say, instead of a screen lockout every 15 minutes, we want screen lockout every five minutes, right? And the variables could be different. Now, how likely is that to occur? Not very likely. How many companies in the DIB specifically that contract with multiple, multiple other agencies that are all going to pick different definitions, probably not very many, but it is right. still a valid concern. And the original reason why they 
created 800-171 was to get rid of that problem. Because like I talked about with Ron on the podcast, before 171, you only had 53. And 53 is a catalog that you're supposed to select from, define the variables, and then implement. And so if you had every agency picking different controls, the baselines were all different. And then you had them picking different definitions for their variables. The final baselines are all different. So they picked the controls. They got rid of the ones they didn't want. They tailored it all down. And then they created 171. And they never finished defining the ODPs, right? Mm -hmm. So in my view, formatting 800-171 to show everyone that the ODPs are there, have been there, have never not been there, and always will be there forces the issue for NARA and the other agencies to wake up and finish the job and say, we care about these variables. Here's the definitions. You can set the variables for the rest of them. Good. Let's all move on with our lives. Now, is that going to be a thing that stops the revision? I don't think so. But it is very interesting to see that we've come like all the way full circle. Like I said, getting rid of the ODPs is not going to make that problem go away. You got to leave them in there in order to force the issue. A lot of times ODPs also say things that like at least annually or at least after yeah. 15 minutes of inactivity. And so when you get into these uh, situations where people talk about the cross-organizational um, moldability of the requirements, if ODPs are defined by different organizations, one of the things you can think about is, is when you develop your program, it's at least annually. So you take the most stringent one and at least annually five is obviously more than at least annually or, you know, every 10 months yeah. or whatever it is, right? Like, oh. <laughs> I just, it just it, I, I find it I find it also very interesting because people will say, if you're going to have ODPs, you better define them for me, and then right. they will also say that assessments are too um, too intense. Right. As it's written right now, the thing that we always say is the reason that 171A and 171A are a good thing is because you know what questions are going to be on the test in 171A, and you get to write the answers to those questions because of ODPs you are defining, you are specifying. As long as you are doing the thing that you defined or you specified, you're good, right? If someone else is going to define those values for you, what makes you think at this point that the DOD is going to pick a value that will not be disruptive to your operations, that will be kind to your small business environment, that won't cost more money or be more complicated or require an upgrade or some sort of a significant change, right? Sure. Like the more that you ask the DOD to fill in the blanks for you, the more DOD-like the standard is going to get. And the more DOD-like the standard is going to get, the more expensive and bureaucratic and burdensome and complicated it gets. There's some ODPs. And, and so one of the, the funny things about um, the leak, the CMMC leak that we discussed last yeah. week and how this relates is that the uh, ODPs in 172 were defined by the DOT, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I've obviously been digging in. And like a lot of times the definition that was provided by the, the DOD is a generalized statement, like all software, security softwares or something like that, like very overall umbrella term that just says, you determine what they are, it has to be defined. There are also ODPs within 172 that are not CMMC level three applicable controls that weren't selected, you know, for the criteria um, that one of the ODPs, like you said, is, is this practice defined or is this frequency defined? Like mm -hmm. the free ODP two is the frequency is defined. Yeah. So there's that. 
What else you got from the the draft comments? Did you well, see the else? last one I'd say out of the ODP thing is something that has spilled over into the social media conversation on LinkedIn, and that relates to the cost of eight hundred one seventy one. And I just want to reiterate to everybody, just like we talked about submitting relevant comments, according to the DoD, the CMMC assessment program and eight hundred one seventy one are different things. I've said we've I know we've we've beat this into the ground, but just to reiterate. 800-171 is required pursuant to DFAR 7012, which was codified in 2016 when that right. rulemaking ended. It is in black and white. It is set. CMMC will be required when its rulemaking is done through a different DFARS clause. And so as a result, when people are looking at the cost of CMMC, they are uh, conflating the cost of implementing 800-171 with the cost of CMMC. Implementing the requirements is not the cost of assessing the requirements. That's not to say that assessment costs will be trivial. That's not to say that assessments will not be expensive. It's just to say that you cannot say that CMMC costs what 800-171 costs. They are different. They are different costs. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people, when I would sort of copy and paste this response from DOD from 2016 on LinkedIn, would say things like, well, we still want to submit those comments to NIST on principle, right? That like, it just deserves to be heard whether it is going to work or not. So maybe it's cathartic for people. Maybe it helps them feel better, but I just want to reiterate to folks that just like they said in the pre-draft public comments, NIST does not control the cost issue when it comes to writing the standard. Their job is to tailor a baseline of controls that sufficiently meets the government's idea of what it takes to protect confidentiality of their data. And so when that data flies into your organization, how you work out the cost is between you and whatever agency you happen to be working with, not with the people who write the standard. Because if cost were the ultimate driver of the tailoring decisions for 800-171, you would tailor it down to a point where there probably wouldn't be any controls in it whatsoever because it would cost some amount of money in order to do it. So. People should just expect that when the next revision comes out and they sort of release their analysis of public comments, I guarantee you they're going to say the cost of implementing this standard is not relevant to the tailoring and public commenting for 800-171 Rev 3. Just like when DOD comes out in public comment responses for CMMC rulemaking, they're going to say the cost of CMMC is not the cost of implementing 171. That was rulemaking that was done years and years ago. It's not a fun answer. It doesn't make anybody feel good. It further fuels that sort of emotion that we talked about earlier that shows up in the public comments. But I just want to remind people that's what they that's that's the situation. That's the situation. Sometimes the best friends are the most honest friends, dude. I mean, you know, we'll link we'll link to that information every time I post on LinkedIn. We always link to the the, the sources of the quotes. You can go to the Federal Register. You can read it yourself. I mean, they wrote it down there. I mean, I was stunned when I first read them. We've talked about this before. I remember the first time I stumbled across the Federal Register and I was reading the responses from the DOD about people's small business concerns and impact and complexity and risk-based this and mm -hmm. which controls that. And I couldn't believe it because I was reading words from a decade ago that were coming out of the mouths of DOD officials today. And that's when I realized that the government's position on this issue is irrelevant to whoever happens to be the 
government official saying it at the time. They have been very consistent in that position and that rationale for a really long time. So when people think CMMC is not happening, 171 will change, this and that and this and that, my question to them is, what what catalyst do you think has happened that would cause the government to have changed their rationale based off of this long track record of responses to these same comments? And since I have not seen that kind of catalyst or change in NIST's behavior or DOD's behavior or NARA's behavior or any of these players in this ecosystem, it makes me believe that there is a very strong case that it won't change. It will just continue on this weird runaway train of, of regulation coming everybody's way. Right. Yeah. Well, on that cheery note, I think we got news for everybody, right? Yeah. Big news. So, uh, October is a big month for, for us, right? It's Halloween. Uh, Um, it pumpkin spice lattes are back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Big month, man. CS2 is back. CS2 is back. That's right. And the summit up podcast turns one. We've been doing this for a year in October. Can you believe believe that they've turned us? Yeah, they've they've turned us loose on microphones for this long. And there has been no injunctions, no cease and desist. Well, we record this in the, for those that don't know, we record this in the middle of the night specifically to avoid getting yanked off air. So, yeah. um, And now, so the big news is, is that the way that we want to celebrate Sum It Up Turn In One is with, uh, I guess, a live studio audience. So we, we will be at CS2 Denver hosting a live show and uh on stage live show uh yeah it's gonna be great yeah so we're gonna do uh summit up live on stage at cs2 we're gonna do the deep dive into 171 comments we're gonna do a deep dive into how to uh anticipate what will be in 800 171a i think you've got a bunch of stuff on 172 and cmmc level three that we're gonna go into you know we're we're practicing our shorter versions of explaining things so that we can get a bunch of information out on stage at CS2 in true CS2 style. But we're also going to keep it real like we do on the podcast, but live in person with everybody too. And we and we want all of our listeners to join us, all the loyals to come out to Denver and join us and to uh, kind of help you along and do that. We're going to offer a 15% discount code for podcast listeners for your, off your registration for CS2 Denver. And that code uh, for the viewers, it's going to be at the bottom of your screen right now, but that code is sum it up C S two D E N. So S U M I T U P C S two D E N first take first. Take, I got it. it. You did it. Everyone yes. should, everyone should know that there was big anxiety in the green room prior to hitting record about whether or not we'd be able to get through the whole Absolutely. discount code and you nailed it, buddy. Absolutely. nailed it. Yeah. So, you know, no poems on that acronym. No list of deficiencies here, buddy. No, no list of deficiencies. <laughs> Don't say um, So once again, S-U-M-I-T-U-P-C-S-2-D-E-N. Sum it up, cs 2 den 15% off. All caps. Code will be in the description below. And yeah, just real quick before we end, big news in terms of CS2, major upgrades on the production back end of CS2. Production at CS2 has always been very smooth, always been very solid, looks great. But now, if you are a virtual attendee and you can't make it in person, uh, you will be able to stream all breakout sessions through the same client. You won't have to wait for the recordings of some uh, breakout sessions to uh, be available afterwards. You'll be able to flip in real time between all the breakout sessions. So virtual attendance is going to be awesome. And if you can't make it to Denver, uh, you should attend virtually with that discount code that we have below. 
Yeah, City of Champions and now Summit Up Live. Denver's lit. There you go. All right, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next week.